I'm going to read you a little something because just by sitting and hearing, one can feel great satisfaction and become wise and make advancement in spiritual life. One can come to know everything, in fact. Correct? Can you prove it? Is it Purushottamam? Sasarvavid Pajanti Mam Sarvabhavina Bharata. One who knows me as the the Supreme Person, the Purushottama, uh, knows everything and um, worsh therefore worships me in all respects. Very good, but if somebody knows something that hits the mark even more, I said if you sit in here, you'll come to know everything just by hearing. Okay, go to Karnava. This is Prayers of Lord Brahma, 10th oh. and to 14th chapter, text 2. Jnane prayasa mudupase namante eva jivanti san mukharitam bhavadhiya bhartam sthane sthitam shutrigatam tanuvan manobhid ye prayaso ajit jitopiya sitai sri lokyam If one gives up mental speculation and uh, to, to know the supreme truth by one's own um, ability and one simply sits down and hears to bona fide um, spiritual master and the scriptures then uh, one can conquer them conquer that works very well but if you know more please say more because I have another one in my mind yes microphone please to the just pass it I was remembering the verse uh, from Bhagavatam, yad kirtanam yad shravanam yadikshanam yad vandanam yad smaranam yad arhanam lokat tadyo vidunoti kalmasham tasmai subhadra shravase namu namaha. Give us the basic meaning, please. By hearing, remembering, chanting, uh, bowing down, worshipping the person um, whose names and forms uh, j just by hearing Tasmai Subhadra Shravase Namo Namaha by hearing about him all auspiciousness will arise and <laughs> sorry I just forgot the oh, it's very good. exact translation it's an excellent verse and it comes really close <laughs> But my mind desires to hear another verse. I'll give you a clue. It's in the Bhagavad Gita. And it's the verse that Prabhupada spoke on more than any other verse in the Bhagavad Gita. Yes, Prabhu? Radha Mohan Prabhu, do you have it? If not, we'll give it to David Rata Prabhu. I hear him chanting it over there. You have it back there? Okay, go ahead. I was just thinking, Janma Karma And then another excellent verse. <laughs> Shambhakti, just by hearing you come to know everything about me. Maya Saktamana Partha Yoga Musion Mashraya Yasham. Go ahead, Asamshayam. Asashayam Samagrama Yathagyasya Sita Shrunu. 
And what does it mean? Maya Sakta Manapartha by uh, developing love for me. With Maya mind attached. So, Maya Sakta Asakta means mana, the mind when it's asakta, when it's completely attached to me. Maya Sakta Manapartha Yogam Yunjan Manashaya. And Asamshayam Samagramam. This is, this is by practicing yoga, he's saying, with mind completely attached to me, without any doubt. Just hear from me, and you'll come to know everything. Let somebody read the translation. Read 7.1. Translation. The Supreme Personality of God had said, Now hear, O son of Pritha, how by practicing yoga in full consciousness of me, with mind attached to me, you can know me in full, free from doubt. So Prabhupada emphasizes touch renew, that just by hearing that one can come to know everything. And then, as Kurunath Prabhu said in the next verse, Jnanam Teham Savigyanam, he mentions that you can know everything phenomenal and numinous, everything that is to be known you can know by hearing. There's nothing further to be known. So would you like to hear a little bit then? Only about seven people. Okay, everyone else has to take a dip in the ocean. This is from the Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita Adi Lila, Chapter 5, The Glories of Lord Nityananda Balaram, and the text is number 22, and it says follows, Chintamani prakara sadmasu kalpavriksha, lakshavriteshu surabhirapipalayantam, lakshmi sahasra shatasambramasevyamanam, govindamari purusham tamahambajami. I worship Govinda, the primeval Lord, the first progenitor who is tending cows, yielding all desires in abodes built with spiritual gems and surrounded by millions of purpose trees. He is always served with great reverence and affection by hundreds and thousands of goddesses of fortune. Srila Prabhupada's purport. This is a verse from Brahma Sanghita 529. This description of the abode of Krishna gives us definite information of the transcendental place where not only is life eternal, blissful, and full of knowledge, but there are ample vegetables, milk, jewels, and beautiful homes and gardens tended by lovely damsels who are all goddesses of fortune. Krishna Loka is the topmost planet in the spiritual sky, and below it are innumerable spheres, a description of which can be found in Srimad Bhagavatam. In the beginning of Lord Brahma's self-realization, he was shown a transcendental vision of the Vaikuntha spheres by the grace of Narayan. Later, by the grace of Krishna, he was shown a transcendental vision of Krishna Loka. This transcendental vision is like the reception of television from the moon via a mechanical system for receiving modulated waves, but it is achieved by penance and meditation within oneself. Srimad Bhagavatam, second canto, states 
that in Vaikuntha Loka, the material modes of nature, represented by the qualities of goodness, passion, and ignorance, have no influence. In the material world, the highest qualitative manifestation is goodness, which is characterized by truthfulness, mental equilibrium, cleanliness, control of the senses, simplicity, essential knowledge, faith in God, scientific knowledge, and so on. Nevertheless, all these qualities are mixed with passion and imperfection. But the qualities in Vaikuntha are a manifestation of God's internal potency, and therefore they are purely spiritual and transcendental, with no trace of material infection. No material planet, even Satyaloka, is comparable in quality to the spiritual planets, where the five inherent qualities of the material world, namely ignorance, misery, egoism, anger, and envy, are completely absent. In the material world, everything is a creation. Anything we can think of within our experience, including even our own bodies and minds, was created. This process of creation began with the life of Brahma, and the creative principle is prevalent all over the material universe because of the quality of passion. But since the quality of passion is conspicuous by its absence in the Vaikuntha planets, nothing there is created. Everything there is eternally existent. And because there is no mode of ignorance, there is also no question of annihilation or destruction. In the material world, one may try to make everything permanent by developing the above-mentioned qualities of goodness. But because the goodness in the material world is mixed with passion and ignorance, nothing here can exist permanently, despite all the good plans of the best scientific brains. Therefore, in the material world, we have no experience of eternity, bliss, and fullness of knowledge. But in the spiritual world, because of the complete absence of the qualitative modes, everything is eternal, blissful, and cognizant. Everything can speak, everything can move, everything can hear, and everything can see in fully blessed existence for eternity. The situation being so, naturally, space and time in the forms of past, present, and future have no influence there. In the spiritual sky, there is no change because time has no influence. Consequently, the influence of maya, the total external energy, which induces us to become more and more materialistic and forget our relationship with God, is also present there is also absent there. As spiritual sparks of the beams emanating from the transcendental body of the Lord, we are all permanently related with Him and equal to Him in quality. The material energy is a covering of the spiritual spark, but in the absence of that material covering, the living beings in Vaikuntha Loka are never forgetful of their identities. They are eternally cognizant of their relationship with God in their constitutional position of rendering transcendental loving service to the Lord. Because they constantly engage in the transcendental service of the Lord, it is natural to conclude that their senses are also transcendental. 
for one cannot serve the Lord with material senses. The inhabitants of Vaikuntha-loka do not possess material senses with which to lord it over material nature. Persons with a poor fund of knowledge conclude that a place void of material qualities must be some sort of formless nothingness. In reality, however, there are qualities in the spiritual world, but they are different from the material qualities because everything there is eternal, unlimited and pure. The atmosphere there is self-illuminating and thus there is no need of a sun, a moon, fire, electricity and so on. One who can reach that abode does not come back to the material world with a material body. There is no difference between atheists and the faithful in the Vaikuntha planets because all who settle there are freed from the material qualities and thus suras and asuras become equally obedient, loving servitors of the Lord. Which reminds me, self-illuminating, could somebody turn the lights on? Happy holiday. The residents of Vaikuntha have brilliantly black complexions, much more fascinating and attractive than the dull white and black complexions found in the material world. Their bodies, being spiritual, have no equals in the material world. The beauty of a bright cloud when lightning flashes on it merely hints at their beauty. Generally, the inhabitants of Vaikuntha dress in yellow clothing. Their bodies are delicate and attractively built, and their eyes are like the petals of lotus flowers. Like Lord Vishnu, the residents of Vaikuntha have four hands decorated with a conch shell, wheel, club, and lotus flower. Their chests are beautifully broad and fully decorated with necklaces of a brilliant diamond-like metal surrounded by costly jewels never to be found in the material world. The residents of Vaikuntha are always powerful and effulgent. Some of them have complexions like red coral cat's eyes and lotus flowers, and each of them has earrings of costly jewels. On their heads, they wear flowery crowns resembling garlands. In the Vaikuntha, there are airplanes, but they make no tumultuous sounds. Material airplanes are not at all safe. They can fall down and crash at any time. No matter, for matter is imperfect in every respect. In the spiritual sky, however, the airplanes are also spiritual, and they are spiritually brilliant and bright. These airplanes do not fly business executives, politicians, or planning commissions as passions, passengers, nor do they carry cargo or postal bags, for these are all unknown there. These planes are for pleasure trips only, and the residents of Vaikuntha <clears throat> fly in them with their heavenly, beautiful, fairy-like consorts. Therefore, these airplanes full of residents of Vaikuntha, both male and female, increase the beauty of the spiritual sky. We cannot imagine how beautiful they are, but their beauty may be compared to the clouds in the sky accompanied by silver branches of electric lightning. The spiritual sky of Vaikuntha, Loka, is always decorated in this way. The full opulence of the internal potency of Godhead is always resplendent in Vaikuntha Loka, where goddesses of fortune are ever increasingly attached 
to serving the lotus feet of the personality of Godhead. These goddesses of fortune, accompanied by their friends, always create a festive atmosphere of transcendental mirth. Always singing the glories of the Lord, they are not silent even for a moment. There are unlimited Vaikuntha planets in the spiritual sky, and the ratio of these planets to the material planets in the material sky is three to one. Thus, the poor materialist is busy making political adjustments on a planet that is most insignificant in God's creation. To say nothing of this planet Earth, the whole universe, with innumerable planets throughout the galaxies, is comparable to a single mustard seed in a bag full of mustard seeds. But the poor materialist makes plans to live comfortably here and thus wastes his valuable human energy in something that is doomed to frustration. Instead of wasting his time with business speculations, he should seek the life of plain living and high spiritual thinking and thus save himself from perpetual materialistic unrest. Even if the materialist wants to enjoy developed material facilities, he can transfer himself to planets where he can experience material pleasures much more advanced than those available on earth. The best plan is to prepare oneself to return to the spiritual sky after leaving the body. However, if one is intent on enjoying material facilities, one can transfer himself to other planets in the material sky by utilizing yogic powers. The playful spaceships of the astronauts are but childish entertainments and are of no use for this purpose. The Ashtanga yoga system is a materialistic art of controlling air by transfer transferring it from the stomach to the navel, from the navel to the heart, from the heart to the collarbone, from there to the eyeballs, from there to the cerebellum, and from there to any desired planet. The velocities of air and light are taken into consideration by the material scientist, but he has no information of the velocity of the mind and intelligence. We have some limited experience of the velocity of the mind because in a moment we can transfer our minds to places hundreds and thousands of miles away. Intelligence is even finer. Finer than the intelligence is the soul, which is not matter like mind and intelligence, but is spirit or antimatter. The soul is hundreds of thousands of times finer and more powerful than intelligence. We can thus only imagine the velocity of the soul in its traveling from one planet to another. Needless to say, the soul travels by its own strength and not by, with the help of any kind of material vehicle. The bestial, or is it bestial or bestial? Either way? Bestial? Ask Merriam-Webster. Can somebody ask Merriam-Webster? B-E-S-T-I-A-L. Is everyone okay? I'm not convinced. Huh? What? Chaitanya Charnamrita. Bestial. Thank you. Thanks to our research team and your hard work. 
The bestial civilization of eating, sleeping, fearing, and sense gratifying has misled modern man into forgetting how powerful a soul he has. As we have already described, the soul is a spiritual spark many, many times more illuminating, dazzling, and powerful than the sun, moon, or electricity. Human life is spoiled when man does not realize his real identity with his soul. Lord Chaitanya appeared with Lord Nityananda to save man from this type of misleading civilization. Srimad Bhagavatam also describes how yogis can travel to all the planets in the universe. When the vital force is lifted to the cerebellum, there is every chance that this force will burst out from the eyes, nose, ears, etc. And these are places that are known as the seventh orbit of the vital force. But the yogis can block these holes by complete suspension of air. The yogi then concentrates the vital force in the middle position that is between the eyebrows. At this position, the yogi can think of the planet to which he wants to go after leaving the body. He can then decide whether he wants to go to the abode of Krishna in the transcendental Vaikuntas, from which he will not be required to descend into the material world or to travel to higher planets in the material universe. The perfect yogi is at liberty to do either. For the perfect yogi who has attained success in the method of leaving his body in perfect consciousness, transferring from one planet to another is as easy as an ordinary man's walking to the grocery store. As already discussed, the material body is just a covering of the spirit soul. Mind and intelligence are the undercoverings, and the gross body of earth, <clears throat> water, air, and so on is the overcoating of the soul. As such, any advanced soul who has realized himself by the yogic process, who knows the relationship between matter and spirit, can leave the gross dress of the soul in perfect order and as he desires. By the grace of God, we have complete freedom. Because the Lord is kind to us, we can live anywhere, either in the spiritual world or in the material sky, upon which, whichever planet we desire. However, misuse of this freedom causes one to fall down into the material world and suffer the threefold miseries of conditioned life. The living of a miserable life in the material world by dint of the soul's choice is nicely illustrated by Milton in Paradise Lost. Similarly, by choice, the soul can regain paradise and return home back to Godhead. At the critical time of death, one can place the vital force between the two eyebrows and decide where he wants to go. If he is reluctant to maintain any connection, with the material world, he can, in less than a second, reach the transcendental abode of Vaikuntha and appear there completely in his spiritual body, which will be suitable for him in the spiritual atmosphere. He has simply the desire to leave the material world both in finer and in grosser forms and then move the vital force to the topmost part of the skull and leave the body from the hole in the skull called Brahmarandra. This is easy for one perfect in the practice of yoga. Of course, man is endowed with free will, and as such, if he does not want to free himself from the material world, he may enjoy the life of Brahmapada, occupation of the post of Brahma, and visit Siddhaloka, the planets of materially perfect beings, who have full capacities to control gravity, space, and time.
To visit these higher planets in the material universe, one need not give up his mind and intelligence, finer matter, but need only give up grosser matter, the material body. Each and every planet has its particular atmosphere, and if one wants to travel to any particular planet within the material universe, one has to adapt his material body to the climatic condition of that planet. For instance, if one wants to go from India to Europe, where the climate clim climatic condition is different, one has to change his dress accordingly. Similarly, a complete change of body is necessary if one wants to go to the transcendental planets of Vaikuntha. However, if one wants to go to the higher material planets, he can keep his finer dress of mind, intelligence, and ego, but he has to leave his gross dress, body, made of earth, water, fire, etc. When one goes to a transcendental planet, it is necessary to change both the finer and gross bodies, for one has to reach the spiritual sky completely in spiritual form. This change of dress will take place automatically at the time of death, if one so desires. The Bhagavad Gita confirms that one will attain his next material body according to his desires at the time he leaves his body. The desire of the mind carries the soul to a suitable atmosphere as the wind carries aromas from one place to another. Unfortunately, those who are not yogis but gross materialists who throughout their lives indulge in sense gratification are puzzled by the disarrangement of the bodily and mental condition at the time of death. Such gross sensualists encumbered by the main ideas, desires and associations of the lives they have led desire something against their interest and thus foolishly take on new bodies that perpetuate their material miseries. Systematic training of the mind and intelligence is therefore needed so that at the time of death one may consciously desire a suitable body, either on this planet or another material planet or even a transcendental planet. A civilization that does not consider the progressive advancement of the immortal soul merely fosters a bestial life of ignorance. It is foolish to think that every soul that passes away goes to the same place. Either the soul goes to a place he desires at the time of death, or upon leaving his body he is forced to accept a position according to his acts in his previous life. The difference between the materialist and the yogi is that a materialist cannot determine his next body, whereas a yogi can consciously attain a suitable body for enjoyment in the higher planets. Throughout his life, the gross materialist, who is constantly after sense gratification, spends all day earning his livelihood to maintain his family, and at night he wastes his energy in sex enjoyment, or else goes to sleep thinking about all he has done in the daytime. That is the monotonous life of the materialist. Although differently graded as businessmen, lawyers, politicians, professors, judges, coolies, pickpockets, laborers, and so on, Materialists all simply engage in eating, sleeping, fearing, and sense gratification, and thus spoil their valuable lives, pursuing luxury and neglecting to perfect their lives through spiritual realization. Yogis, however, try to perfect their lives, and therefore the Bhagavad Gita enjoins that everyone should become a yogi. 
Yoga is the system for linking the soul in the service of the Lord. Only under superior guidance can one practice such yoga in his life without changing his social position. As already described, a yogi can go anywhere he desires without mechanical help, for a yogi can place his mind and intelligence within the air circulating inside his body, and by practicing the art of breath control, he can mix that air with the air that blows all over the universe outside his body. With the help of this universal air, a yogi can travel to any planet and get a body suitable for its atmosphere. We can understand this process by comparing it to the electronic trans transmission of radio messages. With radio transmitters, sound waves produce a certain station, produced at a certain station, can travel all over the earth in seconds. But sound is produced from the ethereal sky, and as already explained, subtler than the ethereal sky is the mind, and finer than the mind is the intelligence. Spirit is still finer than the intelligence, and by nature it is completely different from matter. Thus we can just imagine how quickly the spirit soul can travel through the universal atmosphere. To come to the stage of manipulating finer elements like mind, intelligence, and spirit, one needs appropriate training, an appropriate mode of life, and appropriate association. Such training depends upon sincere prayers, devotional service, achievement of success in mystic perfection, and the successful merging of oneself in the activities of the soul and supersoul. A gross materialist, whether he be an empiric philosopher, a scientist, a psychologist, or whatever, cannot attain such success through blunt efforts and word jugglery. Materialists who perform yagyas, or great sacrifices, are, complete, are comparatively better than grosser materialists who do not know anything beyond laboratories and test tubes. The advanced materialists who perform such sacrifices can reach the planet called Vaishvanara, a fire, fiery planet similar to the sun. On this planet, which is situated on the way to Brahmaloka, the topmost planet of the universe, such an advanced materialist can free himself from all traces of vice and its effects. When such a materialist is purified, he can rise to the orbit of the pole star, Druvaloka. Within this orbit, which is called the Shushumar Chakra, are situated the Aditya Lokas and the Vaikuntha planet within this universe. A purified materialist who has performed many sacrifices, undergone severe penances, and given the major portion of his wealth and charity, can reach such planets as Druvaloka, and if he becomes still more qualified, he can penetrate still higher orbits and pass through the navel of the universe to reach the planet Maharloka, where the sages like Brigumuni live. Maybe Brigupati too. In Maharloka, one can live even to the time of the partial annihilation of the universe. This annihilation begins when Anantadev, from the lowest position in the universe, produces a great blazing fire. The heat of this fire reaches even Maharloka, and then the residents of Maharloka travel to Brahmaloka, which exists for twice the duration of Paradha time. In Brahmaloka, there is an unlimited number of airplanes that are controlled not by yantra, machine, but by mantra, psychic action. Because of the existence of the mind and intelligence on Brahmaloka, 
Its residents have feelings of happiness and distress, but there is no cause of lamentation from old age, death, fear, or distress. They, they feel sympathy, however, for the suffering living beings who are consumed in the fire of annihilation. The residents of Brahmaloka do not have gross material bodies to change at death, but they transform their subtle bodies into spiritual bodies and thus enter the spiritual sky. The residents of Brahmaloka can attain perfection in three different ways. Virtuous persons who reach Brahmaloka by dint of their pious work become masters of various planets after the resurrection of Brahma. Those who have worshipped Garbhadakshai Vishnu are liberated with Brahma, and those who are pure devotees of the personality of Godhead at once push through the covering of the universe and enter the spiritual sky. The numberless universes exist together in foam-like clusters, and so only some of them are surrounded by the water of the causal ocean. When agitated by the glance of Karnadakshai Vishnu, material nature produces the total elements, which are eight in number and which gradually evolve from finer to gross. A part of ego is the sky, a part of which is air, a part of which is fire, a part of which is water, a part of which is earth. Thus one universe inflates to an area of four billion miles into diameter. A yogi who desires gradual liberation must penetrate all the different coverings of the universe, including the subtle coverings of the three qualitative modes of material nature. One who does this never has to return to this mortal world. According to Shukadeva Goswami, the above description of the material and spiritual skies is neither imaginary nor utopian. The actual facts are recorded in the Vedic hymns, and Lord Vasudeva disclosed them to Lord Brahma when Brahma satisfied him. One can achieve the perfection of life only when he has a definite idea of Vaikuntha and the Supreme Godhead. One should always think about and describe the Supreme Personality of Godhead, for this is recommended in both the Bhagavad Gita and the Bhagavad Purana, which are two authorized commentaries on, upon the Vedas. Lord Chaitanya has made all these subject matters easier for the fallen people of this age to accept. And Lord and Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita has therefore presented them for the easy understanding of all concerned. Om Tat Sat. Did you like sitting and hearing? But only a little bit? A lot? Kurunath, did you like it? Okay. That's a good sign. So, uh, hearing from from the Shastra, from the Acharyas, is the method through which one can bring one's practice into focus and also the, the goal of life. Let's um, take a few reflect a few reflections from um, the purport or questions, Prabhu. Hare Krishna. Uh, <clears throat> while I was reading this purport, uh, my mind was going towards the class by Radhika Raman Prabhu, where he was mentioning that uh, there, there are three different kinds of personalities who perceive death in three different ways. And he mentions that uh, 
for materialist they perceived death as an axe like hiranyakashipu he was forced to go into the next body and here shilpa shilpa was also mentions the same thing and then he mentions the second type of personality is uh, yogis uh, who who perceives death as a tool like a train uh, someone chooses a train to go to the next destination so it takes as a tool tool but for a devotee uh, he perceives death as an invitation someone comes and invites uh, to who's the first one uh, materialist which is uh, ax a an ax ax an ax tool H, uh, a, a tool, tool for yogis or an invitation and third one is invitation in the example of dhruv maharaj is mentioned where vishnu has come personally to take him to the to very interesting i read an article recently about a woman who anticipated her death as most people do but mo- most people don't do anything about it and she actually started a group to get ready for death but it was more about being stoic <clears throat> and being prepared in all different ways and they talked about it and so forth they didn't have the she didn't have from what i could ascertain that any of the um knowledge that's given in the bhagavad gita and so forth so when when death came it was a lot harder for her than she had thought and didn't seem like she was prepared a lot of this purport is about um preparing oneself thank you that that was really helpful prabhu and uh, i like to hear about the descriptions of the spiritual world all the things all the details um and i have also a question i heard about the mechanical process of yogis how you know they are how they choose when they leave the body and i heard that it's like a mechanical process so what we do in bhakti yoga chanting rounds following the four regulative principles it's not also something mechanical in the beginning or what's the difference between the difference is that the devotees depend on krishna and others have a sense of their own power to achieve something probably described as how a cat depends on the mother to pick it up carry it a monkey a little baby monkey has to hold on tight because the mother doesn't really you know hold on to it so it it really uh, has to do with the the mood of of the practitioner and ultimately none of the processes work entirely mechanically because it's only by devotional service that one can attain some success because it's all coming from krishna the eighth chapter of the bhagavad gita as we mentioned this morning in the eighth chapter krishna describes how through some mechanical process yogis try to elevate themselves in various ways and then he says that the devotees don't worry about those because they're just dedicated to a service and prophet mentions in his purport there that a, a devotee doesn't mind how he dies exactly he said even if it's by accident somewhere it's not a consideration because his mood is that i'm covered by krishna because 
He's just depending on Krishna for everything. So that sense, when we practice devotional service, see, because we're doing it, perhaps uh, ajata ruchi before we have full taste. Um, as we said this morning, it's like pushing a car just to get it started. And Rupa Goswami said it's like taking medicine for jaundice. In the beginning, you take it out of duty, but then gradually when you're cured of the disease, then you'll have a sense of uh, tasting the sweetness of the medicine, which is sugarcane juice. Any other comments? Yes, Prabhu? One, two, three. Is this hand up? Okay. Hare Krishna. Uh, one thing that, that stuck out to me was Srila Prabhupada's mentioning so many different uh, occupations, you know, lawyer, judge, and then he even mentioned pickpockets. Um, and then so he, he was mentioning that all those activities, though they seem different externally, but when you're not, when you don't have Krishna in the center, it just boils down to eating, sleeping, mating, and defending, very carnal things. So I was just thinking that everything, um, everything that, that we're endeavoring for that is not with the mind of pleasing Krishna or putting Krishna in the center, it just boils down to these four things. Yeah, it's very categorical, actually. Arjun Prabhu. Hare Krishna. Uh, this also kind of reminded me of um, technology and how the futurists think of technology. Uh, recently, I was listening to a podcast uh, where the interviewee was Ray Kurzweil. He's a futurist and technologist. So uh, his... Uh, you know, his final conclusion was that love is above all. Being a technocrat, um, he sort of talked about how technology sort of grows and, you know, we can think of messages, messages being sent by pigeons to, say, Telegram, Morse code, to now what, basically, uh, any kind of uh, instant messenger. Whereas uh, the conclusion he had was, let's be optimistic about our material world. Uh, but his conclusion was about devotion in some sense, in a limited sense, without really referring to any of the texts. So if uh, the world moves forward in a way that uh, we use material energy, at the same time grow in prema, wouldn't that be lovely and without really thinking that we might... At the same time what? Uh, with, with the power of prema, use huh. technology and grow together. Uh, at the same time, find a way to uh, transcend through the Shastra. So there's that disconnect, which, which is why I think Srila Prabhupada's mission... Uh, yeah, there's an important verse in, in Narada's instructions to Vyasadeva when he says, Idam hipum sam and there he says that uh, one should utilize all forms of science and literature, art, and so forth to please the Supreme Personality of God or to discover the Supreme Personality of God. And in that case, it's all good. Otherwise, it's when it's detached from that vision, then it becomes categorically useless. Prabhu? Just on this topic of leaving the body, 
One person I've had on my mind since I've arrived here that I've been really missing the presence of is Rajendra Prabhu. And uh, the example that he set for how gracefully the devotee can leave the world. I was with him the summer before he was going to leave and I remember speaking with him and he was just so ready actually even before anything was diagnosed. Conversations that I had with him, it was uncanny how prepared he was and there was a sense that he was he was getting ready to leave although nothing had been diagnosed or anything like that so but when it finally came i remember that that post came out um on facebook about his request that don't pray for my good health pray for me to accept the will of Prabhupada and krishna in my life so just how gracefully the devotee leaves the world is just so phenomenal. There's no artificial mechanic adjustment. It's just doing what they've been doing their entire life, which is just depending on Krishna. Yeah, it is uh, faith-giving to see that. Uh, Giri Rajmaraj has written a book listing several devotees who have had such graceful departures from the world. And of course, uh, it came out before Rajendra Nanana Prabhu left, but many devotees have, who have been fully absorbed in Christian consciousness and have left their bodies in their own ways have, had, um, have shown similar examples. I must say I also miss Rajendra Nanana Prabhu. He used to come to all our yatras and was uh, really the life of the party. So enthusiastic and so intent on hearing and so forth. And he had obligations even up to the last, uh, you know, part of his life to f fulfill, but he, he did everything with such balance. He spent a lot of time in Mayapur just serving and hearing and he did whatever he had to do to maintain the rest of his life, but his main focus was on Krishna consciousness and hearing and so forth and serving. So anyone can do that. Prabhupada gave us that. But it, Prabhupada also mentions in the 8th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita that one should use one's life for that purpose because one requires yoga balena, he says, or spiritual strength in order to leave the body with such purpose and grace. And he said that requires practice throughout one's life. In fact, he mentions in the purport that you have to practice some kind of yoga to have that, but especially bhakti yoga. And Rajendra Nandana Prabhu's wife, uh, when she was talking to him before he left, he gave some very uh, sober kind of instructions to her, but one of them was, don't waste time, because it can come up in any, at any uh point in our life doesn't there's no guarantee of anything so um, we've had we today we went to Gambira if I remember correctly that was today right and then also we went to Sarvabhom Bhattacharya's house and does anybody have any rec recollections of our time there or any impressions of going to these places Yes, Prabhu. And then I'm going to ask Ananta to say how he felt going to those places. 
Yeah, you you spoke about two main points in Gambira about assimilation and association. Those two points are very important in, to the to develop a, a good conscience. And when we were there in Sauravama Bhattacharya's house, it was very very nice to feel that conversation of how. Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was there and by seven days he just listened in a humble way. It was very nice the atmosphere there. I love it. Thank you for your recollections. The assimilation principle or consolidation is important in the in all aspects of life because it's so easy to just to keep going when we we're growing up as children. There are lots of ch children-like things to do. Notice in child development, w there are ways that most children engage themselves at certain ages. It's kind of predictable to some degree. And same with adolescence. And it's easy enough just to be on a track dictated by material nature. And also, it's easy enough to sail through various aspects of our life and not take anything from them. So especially in Krishna consciousness, it's helpful to take time, for instance, uh, in the day, to recollect what happened, what did we do, like we're doing now, and what did we get from the day. And also, at the end of a month, or even at the end of the year, to take some time to look back and say what happened, a retrospective at different aspect, different intervals of our life to see what happens, see what happened and how we can do it better, how we can adjust and so forth. Because there's always a sense of a forward march and we have to do the next thing and so forth. So taking the time to look look in and see how did we do, how are we doing, and so forth, very deliberately can be very helpful. Seems that Prabhupada, before he came to America, had uh, time to plan and think about his life. It comes out in many of his writings when he's thinking back to the phases of life he's been through. At one point, he talks about, while he's in Vrindavan, that I think of all my loving relatives, and he says, where are they all now? They're simply a list of names. And he recounts how he had a business, he lost the business, the prestige that he had of being manager in a, in a large firm evaporated and so forth. And just taking stock of what we have and seeing where we are is really important. Uh, Ananta. How's the, how are things going so far? Hare Krishna. Um, Hare Krishna. Amazing. It's almost like a dream state being here. Still trying to acclimate a little bit, but um, it's been amazing. Uh, today, uh, after we took prasadam and, and began our way over to Gambira, I was feeling sluggish and tired, but by the time I got there and as we entered into the temple, I just felt um, a surge of 
uh, energy, and I wasn't tired anymore. It was really, it was really nice, um, especially when we got to Sarvabama Bhattacharya's place. I was I was really tired and was like, oh, kind of dozing a little bit as we were walking. But then when we got inside, it was like, wow, and I could really feel it when I was in there. It was really special. I'm so happy. Thank you, Ananta. Anapaini, how's it been for you? You've spent a lot of time in Pori, right? Give pass Anapaini the microphone. Hare Krishna. It's uh, so nice to be back to Pori after a couple years of separation. Yeah. Um, just was sharing with uh, Nirakula Maji in uh, Gambira that hearing from you for the last two days was like hearing two personalities because uh, Madhavanan Prabhu is not here and uh, I kind of hearing him in your voice too so two personalities in one thank you so much and um, from today uh, especially I was um, thinking about the point uh, you were speaking about in uh, Sarabama Balachar's house uh, when you were giving instructions to your new disciple during initiation. So you were mentioning entitlement. So, and uh, for me, it's significant that you were speaking about that in Sarabamadachari's house, because uh, the whole Leela is, is um, actually about this too, how he was thinking, Sarabamadachari was thinking, I'm a great Brahmana, and uh, it came to the extent that he was able, to, he he dared to extract, uh, instruct Mahaprabhu. So I was thinking how important that. I also was uh, hearing from Madhavan Prabhu uh, this morning in class. He was giving uh, two years back in Siddhabakul, and he also was mentioning uh, example of Haridastagur and entitlement. He was speaking about how this is actually destroying our spiritual life when we think. Um, we're taking things for granted. So how important is it to appreciate it even, for example, like we can come in the dam again and again, and at some point think, oh, I was being there. I know this place, I know that, I hear, I heard about that already. So, and it's just required lots of uh, absorption and meditation and always something, something new, some special lesson can come up. In, even in the place you've been many times. So this is um, my meditation from today. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Let's ask um, Jagamohan Das what it felt like today to take initiation. What was the experience of anticipating initiation coming here? And then uh, any, I'm sure we'd like to hear any kind of thoughts you have about what it felt like or what you were thinking or anything like that. You can just be vulnerable and tell us tell us everything. Actually, I didn't know what to expect because I didn't know the place. I, I learned only yesterday that I was receiving initiation from you today. So it was, was like all new for me, you know? <laughs> Completely lost, but was really nice place, really nice energy and association from everybody. And yeah, that's it. So use some adjectives like, were you surprised or were you 
I mean, what does it feel like to get initiated these days? <laughs> I don't know how to explain. <laughs> okay. Um, Shamahini is here. Shamahini, what's your experience here so far? Hare Krishna. Um, it's been really magical. <laughs> we came after 2019, after 2020, we went in Jagannathpuri. And today it just felt like we, you know, there was no gap. <laughs> We've just been here with like following you on the streets of Jagannathpuri. And um, the first day was hard for, for me personally because I think I was still in the the intensity of what I left behind. And um, I was like, is it going to be like this? Like I felt disconnected a little bit because I was still, my body was still in the, and the mind was still in that momentum. But today um, I felt that connection come alive and I felt like we've just always been here. <laughs> so thank you. It's very interesting about moving from one orbit to another. Even, uh, I, I notice this a lot when we go to Kartik, and I've become better at it moving from Vrindavan to Govardhan, but once I get to Vrindavan, there's a kind of gravitational pull. You know, there's a program there and it's, it's very attractive and it's hard to leave there. And also, you know, people say, you know, why don't we do this, why don't we do that? And then I have to be very determined to say, Sure, but I'm going to Govardhan. We've done it for 20 years, so now people are kind of used to it. They say, you're going to Govardhan? You're leaving, right? It's like, yeah. But I always notice in those realms, it's hard to, even in Vrindavan, to go from Vrindavan and then to Govardhan. But once you get to Govardhan, there's a sense of, wow, I'm glad I'm here now. <laughs> and similarly, transferring any from, from one realm to another, we get in an orbit in one place or another and really get absorbed in it what to speak of you know one uh would you guys just listen I'm talking to the they're cats right so it's hard to to leave one you know sphere of influence of one lifetime and then transfer to another one and have to start all over again it's a lot rather traumatic experience and so I guess thinking back to the purport today, Prabhupada urging that prepare yourself for going where's, where would be most beneficial. Don't just leave it arbitrarily. Thank you, Shamahini, for, for talking about your experience. Who else can we call on? Okay, Atulia, what's it like? came all the way from California and I was also meditating on what you said about assimilation and association and a part of me felt remorse because I have the best situation at home with like 
the best of association. And I feel like I haven't taken full advantage of that in getting close to all the devotees back at home. And I'm, I was also feeling gratitude because I have such amazing devotees that take care of me and make time for me um, to Grand Prabhu and you and Guru Ma. And I just, that makes me feel like the luckiest girl ever. So I was thinking about those two things today. Thank you for sharing. Arjun's going to lead us in clapping. Okay. Wow, Pranahari's going to share. This is my first time being in Jagannath Puri. And uh, my experience visiting all these uh, Leelistans of Mahabharu and his associates is uh, definitely been special because having read about, reading, having read the Chaitanya Charitamrita and um, just falling in love with Mahaprabhu and his associates and all the Leelas in these places and then actually being here uh, really uh, brings the remembrance of the qualities and the, and the pastimes and uh, kind of what took place here. Uh, even this poster of Mahavra with the Guru Stamba has really been uh, such an, uh, a deep and a, a stimulus for remembering this um, emotion. There's so much enwrapped in Jagannath Puri, I guess, Radha and Krishna Leela and then Mahaprabhu and his associates and Navadweep Leela and there's so much going on here. So, uh, yeah, I just uh, have had a special time visiting so far these places and remembering all the wonderful things in the Chaitanya Chittamrita. What's it been like for you? Um, it's been kind of it's, it's been kind of eye-opening, in one sense, because I was I was here for the last retreat as well, and compared to the last retreat, last retreat means last week. <laughs> last week, I was here for the the youth retreat uh, before, and I can see that the youth retreat was you know a lot of a lot of moving, a lot of energy here. I can. Um, it's not that I couldn't focus a little bit more, but I couldn't really like dive in deeper into these pastimes because I'm, I've also been like Pranahari Prabhu said, it's like I've been noticing these different. Uh, um, it's like it's like a present tied up in a present and tied up in a present. It's like Radha Krishna Lila and then Gornita uh, is having their Lila, and then then Jagannath has his own pastimes. So I've been try just trying to meditate upon that and also getting. The morning sessions have been really good at Toda Gopinath and the Japa sessions, so I've been really liking those. Thank you very much. Harai Pran. Okay, now, um, how has it been going with meeting new devotees? We've had it a couple times where we moved around and you met somebody that you haven't met before. Is it hard? It's easy? Did you really meet new people that you've never met before? So what was it like? 
wonderful and cool. Enriching and how? How is it enriching? It's just nice to meet another devotee who's in the same yatra, same experience, and share our feelings and also where we're from, what we've been doing all this time, and and uh, what brought us here. It's just uh, enriching to the to the spiritual life to meet someone who's also a devotee and on the same inspirational path. I find it that way too. I mean, just hearing the realizations that the devotees that all of you have shared so far is really helpful and important to me because then you kind of get a feeling what everyone's going through together and it's hard to know unless we talk about it. And in the Gita, Krishna says, Machitamakata prana bodhayam tasparasparam the devotees uh, discuss amongst themselves their, their realizations and they speak about me, Krishna says, and they find satisfaction and happiness uh, doing that. And Prabhupada also mentions in a purport in the Adi Lila of the Chaitanya Charamrita that devotees are like scientists. They discuss their findings of their research projects together. And in doing so, they, they churn the material. And he said, devotees are like that too. They come together and they discuss their devotional practices, compare notes. And by doing so, he said, they please the Supreme Personality of God who bestows upon them advancement in devotional service. What's more, in the Nectar of Instruction, Rupa Goswami mentions there are loving exchanges between devotees. Who would have thought that spiritual life, yoga, preparing to go leave this lifetime uh, would be best served by loving exchanges between devotees? And he includes exchanging gifts taking prasad together, giving prasad, accepting prasadam, as uh, you mentioned how touched you were at the Totagopinath temple just yesterday when those devotees just uh, out of a feeling of loving exchange, they brought out prasad and wanted to feed everybody. I was similarly touched when I saw devotees bring the prasad out of the temple and they were distributing it to others, especially our new bhakta who was sitting on the corner you know the bhakta that was we gave he gave his last 12 rupees i don't know if there was the last maybe he had a stash somewhere else but that was kind of a loving exchange and then also guya makyati prichati you saw him again today he was in ecstasy <laughs> and and then guya makyati prichati actually means sharing the kind of realizations that are there within your heart that, that you're experiencing. He lists these six exchanges as foundational in the practice of devotional service. After all, there's only 12 verses in, in that book, and one of them is about loving exchanges between devotees, and they include these six exchanges. So the, the way of building community whether it's a short-term community like the Yatra 
or long term longer term community like in if you start a temple community it has so much to do with these loving exchanges it's not so much about the the infrastructure although that helps because when you have a thoughtful process so you can actually hear things it helps but the loving exchanges are what bring devotees closer together and inspire one another to practice devotional service more seriously. We saw this with the youth who, who were here uh, recently, that they, some of them were at a faster pace, going at a faster pace than others in their practices of devotional service. Some came along because, you know, they had a, a sense that this will be good for me, and they, did, they weren't really doing much sadhana at all. And then there were others that are already young, but they're initiated and they're, you know, chanting 16 rounds and going on with other, other aspects of their life at the same time. And when the two came together, what do you think happened? The, the many were lifted up. I didn't see any going down because the, you know, it's so intense, the process, but we, we heard from many that they, had reconsidered their lives actually after being in association for 10 days and meeting people like one commented that in discussing with a couple of devotees just on their way back from one of the parikrams and one of them said oh i, I have to go to my room i have to finish i have three rounds to finish and one of them said oh you you chant rounds every day he said, yeah, I chant 16 rounds every day. And the other one said, wow. And when that person got home, they they reported, and I'm hearing these things through the grapevine, that, well, I'm going to start chanting again too. So that this kind of uh, association and hearing from other devotees, how they're doing and so forth, is one of the ways in which Krishna and our Acharyas recommend that we make advancement and build community. Deva Vrata Prabhu? When you said that last thing, that wow, you're doing that, I was just reminded of a verse from the Srimad Bhagavatam. Parasparanukatanam pavanam bhagavadyashaha mataratir matastushir nivritir mitaatmanaha. Which means that when the devotees come together and hear and chant, they develop tastes for the process, a sense of satisfaction, and inspiration to give up material enjoyment. That should be the theme verse for our yatras, right? 